Okay. Let me start off with a question. We're going to, we're going to move into a new subject today as we're wrapping up 1 Corinthians. And it's the issue of the resurrection. The issue of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the surety of the bodily resurrection that awaits all who trust in Jesus Christ. So here's my question to you as we begin this discussion today. And you're going to wonder why I'm asking this question, but I want to get your feedback because I've got a point with why I'm going to ask this question. My question to you today is this, as we begin this lesson. What is the gospel? Who can tell me what the gospel is? Rachel? Okay, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anybody else? What is the gospel? You have something different in your mind than what Bruce said. Nobody has something different? Everybody agree with what Bruce said. What were you going to say? Okay, the good news as far as what salvation is. Did I see your hand, Tom? Oh, okay. You were going to answer my other question was how many agree with Bruce? Okay. Okay. How many agree with Bruce? Now you can raise your hand, Tom. That is it. The gospel is a person. It's good news about a person. The gospel, let me tell you what it is not. The gospel isn't you having a happy life. The gospel isn't you having a happy marriage. See, you can have salvation and not have a happy marriage. Does everybody understand me? Because sometimes we think, well, as a Christian, I should have a happy marriage. That's not necessarily true. The possibility exists, but it doesn't mean that you will have one. The gospel does not mean you'll have perfect kids. The gospel doesn't mean you're going to be healthy and wealthy. The gospel doesn't mean your life's going to be problem-free. See, you'll hear a lot of things on the radio from different people where you will hear things like that, and the assumption is is that if I accept the gospel is that everything's going to be okay for me. That is not the message. The gospel, which is the good news, is the person of Jesus Christ, and in particular, what Bruce said, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we need to recognize that. So when I present the gospel to someone, I am presenting a person to them. The person who is the Son of God, who is alive. And that they have to make a decision about what they're going to do with him. And salvation comes when they make a decision to be committed to him. Not just believe in him, because you can believe in something and not be committed to it. Does everybody understand with me? Does everybody understand what I'm saying? You can believe in something and not be committed to it. The gospel isn't praying a prayer. We're doing baptisms today. The gospel isn't being dunked in water. Does everybody understand me? You know, where I come from in the South, you'll talk to people. Very difficult to talk to people about the gospel in the South. Because a lot of people will tell you that they're saved. And they'll tell you they're saved because they walked an aisle, prayed a prayer, or they got baptized. That doesn't save you. Who saves you? Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. Does everybody understand me? And so that's the point we've got to grasp. So it's a, And when we talk about salvation, I am making a commitment to, a lifetime commitment to who? To Jesus. It's not just that I believe in him, because James says this. Who else believes in Jesus? 
Yeah, the demons. And they tremble. They know who he is. But is it changing their life? No. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the certainty of the bodily resurrection because this was an issue that they were struggling with in Corinth. Now, we're going to move away from all the stuff and the selfish issues that they were struggling with and we're going to move over now to the issue of the bodily resurrection. We're going to spend three weeks here and then we're going to make some closing comments in the fourth week and we're going to be done with this study. So let's, first of all, look at verses 1 to 11 of this uh, very key section of 1 Corinthians. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you were also, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter as he is known, that he was and by the twelve, that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain that I have labored more abundantly than they all. And yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, we preach and so you believe. Okay, let's first of all look at the introduction to this section as he gives us the record of Jesus' resurrection. Paul reminds them of the gospel which he preached and they received. So first thing he's going to do is he enters into this discussion of the resurrection. He's going to remind them of the gospel which he preached to them and they received. That is, they accepted in their lives. So as we begin this discussion, he's going to remind us of the gospel that we hopefully have received in our lives. The gospel was the basis for their salvation and perseverance. Now, he's delineating between the two. And this is a good point I need to make here. The gospel, which is the good news about Jesus Christ, was the basis for their salvation. So, it was the basis for their coming to Christ and being forgiven of their sins, given a new life, being made into new creatures, the Bible describes a whole lot of different things that happen to that to you when you become a Christian. And that was the basis of their salvation. But it was also the basis of their perseverance. Now, when we talk about perseverance, what are we talking about there? When we talk about perseverance. All right, getting through the hard times. Sticking with something. So what's going to get you through the hard times of life? Because remember, I talked to you before, I've told you before, you are not promised a bed of roses, unless it's all thorns. Does everybody understand me? It's not rose petals that you're going to be sleeping on in life. You are in a life that is going to be marked by suffering, by hardship, by struggles. Jesus tells us that. 
And he tells us specifically that if you make a commitment to him, life is going to get tougher. It's going to get harder. And so what Paul is telling us here is that the gospel was the basis for their salvation, but it was also the basis for them to persevere, to continue on, to basically hang in there until either Jesus comes back or they go to be with him. You understand? It's, it's the basis for them making it through life. But let me ask you something. You meet a lot of Christians, when they go through hard times, how do they normally respond? Let's be honest. Get upset. Get upset at who? Like it's his fault. See, see how, how bad our thinking is? It's not God's fault that you're going through difficult, hard times. It may not even be your fault. See, sometimes we want to blame somebody. You remember in John, the discussion, they walked by and there was a man who was blind, and the disciples said to Jesus, who was at fault? Was it their parents, or did this guy do something? And he was blind from birth. And Jesus said, neither, but that the Son of God, that God would be glorified. See, here's the thing, stuff can happen, and it not be your fault, and, it, and, and we, so we can't blame ourselves, we can't blame God, it's just life. But the gospel, then, is something that I cling to. Lord, I have you. I have you, Jesus, to get me through my struggles, to get me through what I'm going through. So it's for perseverance. Okay, let's go on then. Jesus, he goes on now, after the introduction, and he gives us, this is a creedal statement, verse 3 to 8. It says right there, a creed. This is probably something that they repeated in the early church. The early church did the things that they would repeat to themselves key doctrinal facts. So this is a creedal statement that he's giving us here. And so he's repeating it for you and I. First part of the creed is, is that Jesus died for our sins in fulfillment of the Scripture. Jesus just didn't die for our sins just for the heck of it. Jesus died for our sins to fulfill what the Scripture says. So that's the first part of the creedal statement. Next part is this. He was buried and rose again on the third day in fulfillment of the Scriptures. So once again, what he was doing through his death, burial, and resurrection were all in fulfillment of what? Scriptures. Now what Scriptures are we talking about there? The Old Testament Scriptures. The Law and the Prophets. The resurrected Jesus now, he's going to say this, because here's the point. The resurrected Jesus was seen by Peter and the apostles. We know that from the Gospels, that he was seen by Peter and the apostles. That's the next part of the creedal statement. So there were eyewitnesses to his coming back to life from the dead. Now, here's the problem, though, because somebody could look at this and say, hmm, seems to be just his followers. How come they didn't make this up? And that has been an accusation for 2,000 years that it was made up. There are other things, and I won't get into that right now. But the next part of the creedal statement is very interesting. The resurrected Jesus was seen by over 500 believers at once. So it wasn't just the 11 who saw him. It was 500 believers at one time who saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, in the time that he was there before the ascension. 
So there were 500. And Pietrosus says this. Listen, at the time of the writing of this letter, he said what? Some of them are still alive. They're with you. They're giving testimony to what they saw. Now, he said some of them have fallen asleep, which means what? That they had died. So there were over 500 witnesses to the the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not just the 11 who were close, but 500 witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive. So that's the next part. He was seen by James, the brother of Jesus, and those who witnessed his ministry. Now, when it talks about apostles there, it's talking about a select group of individuals who were there to witness the ministry of Jesus Christ from, from the very beginning of his ministry all the way to the fact of his ascension. Okay? Because remember, when they were wanting to select someone to fill Judas's place in Acts, they had three names to select from before they picked Matthias, and they had to fit a certain criterion, and that was that they were there from the very beginning. So he's saying here that this is a select group, this is a special group of people, those who had witnessed Jesus' ministry. So this is the creedal statement that he's giving us here. Now he continues on now, because it was not, wasn't just James and these guys. Paul's going to say something to us here that's very interesting, and I think it's a key point. Finally, Paul witnessed the resurrection. Now, this is probably a, just a few years right after he died and was rose and ascended to heaven. The apostle Paul witnessed the resurrected Jesus. He saw the resurrected Jesus. So this is what he's saying. He witnessed the resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus alive. Now, he's going to make some key points here that you and I need to grasp as to the validity of him as a witness, because he's going to say something about this. He describes himself the least of the apostles because of his persecution. See, when does everybody remember from Acts, when did Paul see Jesus? Was he a follower then? Yes, he was on his way to Damascus with letters from the high priest to arrest people who were followers of the way. So when he saw the resurrected Jesus, he wasn't even wanting to follow Jesus. He was wanting to stamp out the movement of Jesus. He was wanting to put it in the grave. So he's saying, you know, and, and here he is, he's, he's, and this is his humility. He says, I'm the least of these because I'm the one who persecuted the church. And let me explain something to you. Paul probably oversaw the killing of Christians. So just so I want you to recognize that. When, he, when they were thrown in prison, they were not thrown like, you know, when you have in a county jail here, the county prison here in Clearfield. And it, it wasn't that nice. And so he describes himself as the least of the apostles. So think about that. He's seen by those who followed him. He's seen by 500 at one time. He's seen by his brother, his half-brother James, others who witnessed the ministry. And then Paul says, and then finally, least of all, he was seen by me, the persecutor of the church. Isn't that interesting? Well, let's go on now. That's the creedal statement. Here's the thing. He's going to say, again, Christ bestowed grace on Paul, and he responded to it with his service. So, here's what I want you to see. Here's Paul. He is the one who's persecuting the church. And this is the point I want you to see about salvation. Salvation is not your decision to follow Jesus. We sometimes reverse that. We think it's my decision to follow Jesus. 
Paul's very clearly pointing out here, who is the one who reached out to who? Jesus reached out to Paul. You understand? When you think about you coming to salvation, it was Jesus reaching out to you, giving you understanding, giving you the ability to respond. So Paul here points out that Christ bestowed grace on him, and then here's how he responded. He responded to the grace that was shown to him by wanting to serve who? Jesus. Jesus. So, for instance, let's say you're in a house fire, and the fire company responds, and somebody pulls you out of that fire. If they hadn't pulled you out, you would have been dead. How are you going to respond to the person who pulled you out of the fire? You feel you owe them something? If you see them around town, how are you going to feel? You're going to be, oh, well, there he was. He's just doing his job. How are you going to be? You're going to live with a life, lifetime attitude of gratefulness, right? And you're going to respond in accordingly. Let's say that fellow, fellow who, or, or maybe even the gal, because there are female firefighters now. Let's say that fellow or gal, you hear that they need to have a need, and you could meet it. What, what would you do? I mean, they gave you your life. Yeah. See, this is what Paul, Paul's attitude is what? He's going to serve him. So Jesus bestowed grace on him, and Paul responded to it with his service. Now, Paul proclaims that this gospel was universally accepted. Look at what he says there. Excuse me, this is in verse 11. Therefore, whether it is I or they, meaning the others who were witnesses, so we preached... And so you believe. This is the message. The message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. And so he proclaims that this gospel was universally accepted and preached. Now we're going to get to the last part of our lesson today, because this is going to raise some questions now about the resurrection. He's going to get to the issue that they're struggling with, and that's the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. So I want you to look with me, verses 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is preached that he had been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he has, has raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiful. So let's look at the issue of the resurrection. He's going to raise a couple of things here. First of all, Paul questions why they deny the resurrection in spite of the message of the gospel. Here's what they're struggling with. Some among the Corinthians were saying that when you die, that was it. A lot of people believe that today, don't they? 
Still do. Always have. When that's it. Now, there's others who believe different other things beyond that. But basically, there was this attitude there that there is no resurrection of the body. There is no resurrection of the body. And so he questions them and says, look, how can you accept that there's no resurrection of the body, but yet you believe and claim the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is what? The death, burial, and what? Resurrection of Jesus. And so he wants to say, look, that that doesn't make sense for you to deny that there's no resurrection. There's no bodily resurrection of believers. And then to turn around and say, you believe the gospel, that you accept Jesus. So he questions them about this. So here's the implication. He's going to say, listen, for you to grasp a hold of that and say that there's no bodily resurrection, there is some implications here for all of us. Listen, if there's no bodily resurrection, do you understand? The resurrection is at the heart of what Christians believe. If there is no resurrection that Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, there are some implications for every one of us here today. There were implications for them. There's implications for us. The first one is this. Paul states if there was no resurrection, then Jesus Christ is not alive. That's the first one. His bones are somewhere either turned to dust or buried somewhere in Palestine today. Reality. If there is no resurrection, Jesus Christ is not alive. Period. That's what he's saying here. He's saying to them, guys, if you, you, you're saying Jesus is alive, but if you're saying there's no resurrection, if there's no resurrection, Jesus isn't alive. Next implication. If Jesus is not alive, then our message and our beliefs are meaningless. Listen, I want you to understand, people who don't accept Christianity, and even some who call themselves Christians, there's some denominations, pastors and so forth, who, if they, the big issue is they don't accept that Jesus Christ died and was raised again. That's the big issue. They can't accept that. And here's the problem. If you can't accept it, then everything that we talk about, everything that we do, the reason why we gather here, is meaningless. When you pray to Him, it's meaningless. When you read your Bible for comfort, it's meaningless. Do you understand what I'm saying? It, it, our message and what we believe are meaningless. We're crazy. Does everybody understand? So, I mean, that's the point. He's saying if there's no resurrection, it's meaningless. Let's go on then. So that's the implication. Next one. If there's no resurrection, then we're nothing more than liars. Look, you're nothing more than a liar. I'm, I, of all people, as a pastor, am a big liar if there's no resurrection. Because I've been spreading a falsehood if there's no resurrection. By saying that Jesus Christ is alive and he isn't because there isn't any resurrection, then I become a liar. You have a question? Yes, it makes Jesus a liar because he said that he would be raised from the dead. Yes. Everything that Jesus said would be meaningless now. Because you understand why we can validate what Jesus said about how we are to live our lives, what he said about God, all hinged on one event, that he would die and would be raised again on the third day, period. 
And the reason why we can validate what Jesus said is because he was raised on the third day. He was resurrected. But if there is no resurrection, then what Jesus says is wrong. Jesus is nothing more than a liar. You understand? Then what we believe are lies, and when you tell somebody some of that, or you tell your kids, or you tell your friends, or I tell my kids and tell you folks, I'm a big liar. There's a big L on my chest. That's reality. That's what the implications are. We're nothing more than liars. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. We are nothing more than liars if there is no resurrection. He's trying to give you the implications to understand if there's no resurrection, we're liars. Next thing. If there's no resurrection, then our faith is meaningless. What you cling to. Remember what I told you earlier when we talk about the gospel. The gospel is for our salvation, but also for our perseverance. So when you're clinging to that and persevering through the problems you're going through, if the resurrection did not exist, Jesus is not alive, then you're just, it's meaningless what you're doing. Completely meaningless. Bottom line. And it's not just meaningless. Here's the problem. You are forgiven. Let's just stop there for a moment. Every human being carries with them regrets, don't they? Every human being carries with them shame. Every human being carries with them guilt. Every human being carries that burden. And it's a burden. You know, when you think about Pilgrim's Progress and you think about... Christian, in the very beginning of the book, he's walking around with this huge pack on his back, this burden that he's carrying. And it's the burden of the sin in his life. The reality, if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, there is no forgiveness. You would still have that burden. You would still have that shame. You would still have the guilt. It's meaningless. Do you see the implications of what he's saying here? Your life would be totally meaningless. We might as well just hang it up and let's go out to eat. Or just go on downstairs and eat what we got run there. And, and you know, and, and, and just forget about it. Don't even bother. Let's board up the building. i got to find another job. You, do you understand what I'm saying? It's meaningless. Let's go on then. If there's no resurrection, then death is final. Let's do this. Because of who I am, I get involved in people's lives and funerals. And very few funerals that I go to, there's not a glimmer of hope. Because everybody has a hope at a funeral, don't they? And it's especially true if the loved one who died knew Jesus. And while there's grief and loss, there is also hope that one day you'll see them. We live with that hope, don't we? That's how you get through it, don't, isn't it? Okay? Here's what he's saying. No resurrection, no hope. That's devastating, isn't it? That's devastating. See, this is the implications of it. If there's no resurrection, then death is final. Now, some people live this way. Some people you work with live this way. They think that's it. Just bury them. Put the dirt over 
And they live that way. They don't have any hope. They live one day for the next day. If there's no resurrection, death is final. And finally, I want you to understand something here. Without the resurrection, we should be pitied by humanity. Without the resurrection. And, and listen, think about who's talking here. It's the Apostle Paul. When you read through the book of Acts, especially the second part of the book of Acts, what kind of stuff is Paul going through for the gospel? Is it rosy? Is it perfect? What's he going through? Shipwrecks, what else? Beatings, not just beatings. He's getting lashed 30-some times a time, and he's been lashed several times. You think about what his back looked like. You know? You think about what his back looked like. You know, I, like right here in my hand, I have a scar, and I can remember when I got it. When I was at the University of South Carolina as an engineering student, I had a job, a work-study job there at the School of Medicine working for a cardiologist. And I remember when I stuck my hand into a metal cabinet to get some surgical gowns, there was a sharp edge, and it ripped into my skin and cut it open, and I still got that scar there. That scar is there permanently. I'm hoping that it will finally disappear, but it's there. You carry scars, don't you? Okay? You want to think about somebody who's been lashed five or six times, 30-some times at a time. What did his back look like? Shredded. Scar tissue. You think about what he went through for the gospel. I mean, you've got to, you're talking about something. Look at, you think about what he went through. He must have believed what he was spreading, did he not? Now, here's the thing. Here's what Paul is saying. If it wasn't true, then we need to pity somebody like that. We're miserable. We're pitiful people. If it wasn't true, you, you are to be pitied. It, it reminds me of a time when I was in the National Guard. There was a sergeant there who, who, made it, who, who was very antagonistic towards Christians. And I remember very clearly him saying to me, oh, it's nothing more than a crutch for drunks and people who got problems. But you know what? If it isn't true, then it is true. It's nothing more than a crutch for us because we're emotionally unstable. That's the reality. So he's trying to bring in the argument that if Jesus wasn't alive, what? There'd be some major problems. Now here's the wonderful thing, because we can end this gloomy, or, or we can end it with reality. The reality is this. Paul is giving these implications to make a point to them, and the point that they need to grasp and that you need to grasp is this. He is alive. There is a resurrection. There is hope. We're not pitiful. Even though others may think that, we're not pitiful. Okay? Any questions about what we talked about so far? Next week, we're going to look at the certainty of it as he talks about the reality of Christ's resurrection, as he talks about the reality of it.